Welcome to the Next Level Brands Podcast, where we share stories about the food and CPG world with experts in the trenches about how to build a successful brand today. Now, your host, G. Stephen Clear. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for joining us here at another Next Level Brands Podcast. Our podcast today is brought to you by Next Level Brands CPG Community, a merger of the experience of Next Level Marketing and the educational resources of Kitchen to Shelf. Next Level Brands Community brings together CPG entrepreneurs at all stages of growth, providing knowledge, training, courses, and networking, not only with fellow entrepreneurs, but also key partners within the industry, including experts in packaging, finance, and e-commerce. More details are available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's, nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. So this is Steve Clear, and today I'm welcoming to the program David Klavsons. Did I get it right, Dave? You got it. Klavsons, we got it. Dave's a retail and consumer products executive who has more than 30 years of senior level experience in transforming and optimizing business performance, growth, and innovation with leading food and beverage companies. Currently serves as CEO of King Juice Company, the maker of Calypso Lemonade, which I'm sure many of you know. Prior to King Juice, David held executive positions at Glambia Performance Nutrition, Hess Corporation, Kraft, Nabisco, and PepsiCo, just some small guys. Most recently, he is president of Glambia Performance Nutrition North America, where he oversaw a portfolio of brands, including Isopure, Optimum Nutrition, BSN, and Think Thin. He's accomplished in business turnarounds, driving profitable top-line growth, scaling brands and product lines, and of course, increasing shareholder value. Welcome to the show, David. Excited to be with you, Steve. Um, so, you know, there's, I, I, I like to talk about the fact that with, with folks who are building businesses, um, there's, uh, you know, there's a group that of, and I'll call them big CPG refugees, who for whatever reason find themselves with smaller firms uh, to build those firms. And my, my usual start to that is, is didn't you know that you shouldn't have done this before you got into it? Yeah. Right. And, and, and then obviously, then we'll talk a little more about the, you know, what could you take away from a Pepsi that helped Calypso and what was not applicable at all? So first, let's talk a little bit about the background of Calypso um, and how you came to be a part of it. Sure. Well, uh, and you had said it, it's not for everybody to go from the big CPG background and jump into a smaller company and expect, you know, a similar environment. Um, and, you know, I would say the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway just within that transition is you got to learn to kind of go back in your career and grab onto the things that you used to do yourself, you know, as an individual contributor to start where you're doing a lot of it yourself. You don't have the resources, you don't have the money. And quite frankly, you don't have a lot of time either. So it is, uh, it's important to recognize that, that transition and it's not for everybody. Um, you know, as it relates to Calypso itself, you know, what attracted me was, you know, it was an established brand, 20 year old brand had been around for a long time and it tasted great. It had great branding with Calypso right. and uh, an unbelievable positioning that resonated with consumers as we found out taste of the islands. So who doesn't want a vacation on the islands, right? Especially today. Yes. Yeah. Right. When it's 95 degrees out. And, you know, the, the, the biggest thing, though, as I look back on it, was just the metrics of the brand within the category, the lemonade category. It had category leading velocity. So it moved faster than any other brand, including Minute Maid and Lipton. But it was a small percentage of those businesses. 
and it was in only about 30% distribution. So you've got this great tasting product, this great brand, great positioning with category leading metrics on velocity, and it just didn't have distribution. So I knew right away it was a huge opportunity if we could just unlock the distribution and be able to, you know, have that brand in front of more consumers. Now, now taking a product that obviously has some some weight to it by by case and by palette and whatever else, not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Did you sit down and kind of map out distribution based on transportation costs, a geographic, or was it okay? This performs really well at Win Dixie, therefore it really ought to do well at Cub. How, how'd you approach that? Well, it and I would tell you the weight of the product really was not a significant concern up front. The first question was, all right, let's understand the consumer. Where are they? Why do they like it? Why do they love right. the brand? Um, you know, focus groups, ANU study, panel data, merge with IRI data, really fundamental, I'd call it, you know, marketing consumer 101 stuff. Right. And, you know, what we what we learned was we had really strong distribution in the in the west and the southeast and great velocities, but big opportunity in the northeast, New York City, Florida, Texas, and quite frankly, some of those areas were the most expensive areas to to uh, ship our product. Get to, yeah, yeah, and we had to get after the distribution with retailers, but also distributors. We had white space. We were not really in New York City. We were not in Florida at the time. And those are, you know, big markets that, you know, you really want to be into, especially with a lemonade. So, you know, it was a function of consumer first, use the analytics and then go hard after the business. I would tell you, operationally, we were strong. We had plenty of capacity, more than double the business capacity. And, and it was an efficient plant. Um, I, you know, the, the action, though, that we took was on the biggest opportunities. And you know, what resonated with consumers is taste product, but not the label. And we went after, you know, visual identity and a refresh and took our time because the, you know, package is the biggest form of marketing for just about any brand, any CPG yep. brand for that matter. And then we reduced the bottle size because consumers told us it was too much in a 20 ounce bottle. And it gave us an opportunity to reduce the size keep the price and invest the money back into distribution. So it was a big flywheel of, uh, of development over time. And at, at the time that, that you came on board, um, was, was there a traditional structure? Was there sales and marketing? Did you guys work with brokers, whatever? And how did you change that? So when we first uh, came onto the business, it was run by one guy and he had a sales guy and that was it. Uh, I came on, I got a, a CFO in place that was running the operation. I spent my time on marketing, which really was not existent at the time, and then beefing up the sales organization to get a greater connectivity with distributors, retailers, and get after that distribution component that we talked about. Um, so really, it was me. And when you have a very small team and you're starting out, and I had mentioned it earlier, you got to be prepared to do stuff yourself. I, you know, you know, I can give you plenty of examples of, you know, where, you know, I was trying to figure out the palette pattern of our product to be more efficient, you know, to right. you know, <laughs> actually designing the. How do we cube out? <laughs> carrier. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. And, you know, I, it was invigorating. It's not for everybody, but it was invigorating for me because I was deep, deep into the brand, into the product, into the operation, into the sales organization. And, you know, once we, um, 
understood what it was we were trying to get after and the tactics that we needed to employ, we went on this hunt. I call it a test and learn on a number of different fronts um, in sales and marketing and innovation in that first year of ownership to say, all right, what's going to work here? We knew some things were fundamental. Get the visual identity right, right? Change the bottle size. But when it came to sales, the structure, the support, the distributor engagement, how do we get after that? What kind of incentive programs do we put in place? And then retailer activity, distribution, again, the biggest opportunity. How do you engage with retailers when you're a smaller brand? And quite frankly, you know, you're going to have to call five, six times and you may never get a call with a buyer. That's right. How do you get these guys to believe? And that was the key because I saw it. And we saw the growth of that brand after the first year, you know, pop 30%. And it was a question of how do you create the story so that the distributors believe in it, they want to support you, then you get them to help you with the retailers, their contacts, their connections, because it's all about networking, really, even, you know, even at, at that level, uh, just getting in. And then our mission was just get on the shelf because we know once we got on the shelf somewhere in the store, just give us a rack, give us something to prove ourselves. And that test and learn with retailers really worked. And we're at the point now where retailers are asking us for the product. Right. Yeah. Which is a good place to be. But, but, when, but when you started out, you had enough data, at least from some sources, to be able to put together that story to say, okay, this is our velocity versus competition. This is how we do, you know, and then we can scale that up. Uh, obviously, in your stores, if they're they're bigger, did you did you feel comfortable with what you had when you started? Well, let me let me try to put it in perspective. When I started, we didn't have a shipment sales report. We didn't even know where the stuff was going. Okay, Got so it. if that gives you some, and the distributor wasn't telling you, right? So. Data, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there wasn't anything out there. Uh. So you know that again, that first call it three to six months was all about engaging with the data, with the analytics, with the, you know, uh, sources of the data, whether it was VIP, which is shipment reporting from distributors, right? Which is great right, right. reporting, IRI-based data, panel data, the ANU feedback and data, uh, uh, focus group data, all of that collectively helped guide where we went with, let's try this, this series of six or seven things and test and learn our way through it. Um, I'll, give you, I'll give you a couple examples, um, you know, with, with marketing, uh, social, digital, out of home, radio, what do you, you know, POS, racks, display view, you know, what do you go do? Well, you, you don't have the money to go do everything. And especially right. with a smaller brand, you can't afford some of these, you know, these marketing tactics. And there's no surprise, you know, you, you go to social first because it's the cheapest date. And quite frankly, it is, it can be very, very effective. You know, you go the influencer model, you go your own. So there's a number of different ways to get at it and then get the engagement with consumers to see what it is they like and why they love your brand. And then you just continue to double down on the things that work. I can tell you we're doing out of home now, first time in you know, three and a half years. We ah, thought okay. we'd do it earlier, but out of home, it costs a lot of money. We're doing digital out of home right now in New York City. All right. But it was an evolution, you know, call it an iteration of tactics across each one of the functions that all work together, whether it's sales, marketing, innovation, operations, all iterated uh, tactics to get after what works. I'll give you one on the sales side. Um, 
we said, well, geez, the independent network is where most of our volume is. Yes, we need to get after chains, but independence, you can make more money there. Great place to go. Let's put people on the market that can go get us more distribution and independent. At the same time, we said, well, we're, you know, kind of in Walmart, you know, as a store level sell. <laughs> kind of. Let's, yeah. let's go. Let's go put a couple of people in place and see if they can go sell more at Walmart and then go get more displays at Kroger. Right. So a number of different tactics. Well, what we found out was you can't make it work with independence, which is the old model with distributors is go put feet on the street and get into right. independent. Well, guess what? Doesn't pay out. Doesn't work. The stores are too small. They're great. We love them, but it just doesn't pay out to have feet on the street. Guess what happened with Walmart? You know, it was a huge success. And we've added five or six more people since we started that program. Cut back on one, iterate, go to another. So you can find that same kind of methodology throughout all of the work we did in, uh, in developing the brand over the last three years. It, it, in that in that planning process or beginning, did you were you looking? Um, did you look at targets, retail targets, saying I want to be in these stores? Did you look at distributors that you said these are the guys that have the coverage we need to do the business? Did you work with brokers? What what came first, chicken or egg? So there was a distributor network in place, and we we did have distribution in a Kroger. So and we had the store level sell at Walmart. And we knew that, you know, there's a series of distributors that are very, very good. And there's some that just aren't that great. So go focus on the key retailers in the key markets where, you know, you've got good, strong distributors. That's where you invest the money. Right. Get your story going. Right. Get some momentum. Create the story in a given market, because, first of all, it's cheaper yeah. if you yeah. focus in in a geography um, and you can be much more effective with your resources and you can create a story that can resonate beyond that market. So that's what we did initially, because I knew I had a good story buried in there, but I had to go prove it and get people to believe in it today. And right. you know, it just takes some time. But again, get back to that iteration, what worked, what didn't, do more, double down on the stuff that worked, create the story, then go back into the retailers You know, when they didn't call you back the fifth time, but maybe they'll call you back the sixth time. Right. Folk, folks at home, buyers don't call you back. So just, it's not, it's not you. It's, you know, it's, it's Dave. It's, it's the guy from Pepsi. It, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It's that it's too much to do and not enough hours in the day. Um, how did you roll along, uh, building solid distribution, solid retail sales, and all of a sudden COVID what happened? What happened to you guys? What happened to your category? How'd you handle it? Well, um, at the start, and it was March 16th, Monday, March 16th, brought everybody in. That's when that weekend hit yeah. last year and nobody really knew what the heck was going to happen. Uh, brought everybody in and said, okay, you know, only the most essential people stay here. Everybody else go home. Well, it was pretty clear to everybody in the room that I needed to go home because I wasn't essential at that point. <laughs> so, so <laughs> yeah, right. So we, we sent everybody home but then worked hard on how do we deal with this situation, especially with distributors and retailers that are all hunkering down. And we saw this period of you know, decline and there was this uncertainty. And, uh, and then the brand rebounded after about six weeks and it rebounded faster. We had already been on a growth trajectory of about 40, 30, 40% in uh, last year. Right. COVID hit, we take a little dip, we come out of that dip, we continue to supply and we grew 62% last year. So 
you know, I think there's a bit of, um, you know, permissible indulgence in our brand and, yes. you know, people hunkering down, not a bad thing, grab a bottle of Calypso and, yep. you know, get a trip to the islands for, you know, a couple of bucks. So um, we did very, very well, but there was this period of uncertainty that was pretty clear to us. Um, in terms of in your normal marketing, do you rely heavily on, on demos or sampling or not really? So, no, we, uh, it was a great example of another test and learn. We had a big sampling truck, sent it around the country and had great response, great reaction to the brand and consumers, retailers loved it, but you can't be cost effective doing it. It, it is a you right. know, money pit and we shifted our tactics. So, so this is before COVID shifted our tactics to uh, digital couponing. Now it may appear to be a bit more expensive because you got a bunch of the ancillary cost to do it, but it's a great way to get a free bottle of product into a consumer's hand. Right, right. And yeah. And if, and if you were forced in a situation where you were going to have to do single serve packs or whatever else other people were looking at, it's the, the can, the full can costs as much as the little single, you know, whatever, if we go to redo it. So yeah, you're, you're, you're almost, uh, the economics hat plays out. And so folks in the audience will know is that when you're doing sampling or demoing in the beginning, maybe the founder goes out and does it themselves in a little table setup, whatever. But when you move into the Kroger's of the world and the Safeways of the world, there are third parties or internal parties that basically do this on a per store day basis. So as you pay for four hours, person at the store, plus you put in all the free product, whatever else, you can be easily talking $250, $300 a store day. Now, Granted, you, you usually have to give out a coupon with that while you're doing it, right? Plus you're already on TPR because otherwise you wouldn't, they wouldn't allow you to sample. And it can be very, very expensive. Almost better just give the person the can as they're walking out going, hey, go try this. That's it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, that's it's, it. It's, give, it, give it to them for free. And that's what we did. We, right. So I'll give you the ex exact example. We came out with light Calypso. So zero sugar, five calories, great tasting product, spent a year formulating this thing. And we wanted to get it in people's hands because we knew it tasted great, better than anything else in the market. The way we got it out was we were doing a 10 for 10 on our brand. It was part of the brand in, in the promotion. Um, we had 30% of the displays stocked with our light product, you know, kind of mandated from, from us all the way through into Kroger. We got displays on the floor, and then put a dollar coupon on the lights. So a light bottle was free. Right. Wow. Yeah. And, and it worked. Yeah. It worked. Matter of fact, here, I'll give you a couple quick numbers. So it gives you an idea of how effective something like this could be. Yep. Um, low, no sugar products represent about 25% of CSD. Okay. 27% okay. of teas, only 10% of lemonade. There's a reason it's really hard to make zero sugar lemonade. You know, yeah. when you think about lemonade, right. lemon, right. sugar, right? We were able to figure it out. Our product now at Kroger is almost 15% of sales, our light line. And I attribute that to that sampling effort of getting it into people's hands. Right. So the payback was exponential for us after that sampling event. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's great. That's a great tactic and an and awesome, awesome result. Um, when you look at going forward, David, um, now, you know, it, it's one thing when we have a very identifiable product, you have the taste of the islands, everything else, 
but I'm still, if I'm thinking Calypso, I'm finishing it off by saying lemonade. So do you ex- try to expand the product line Calypso? Are you still working on expanding just distribution, you know, North America, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, what's, what's the, what's the future hold? So there's a long runway for growth with simply our single serve product lemonade line with innovation tied into that with flavor, basic right. flavor innovation. So we know there's a big runway there anyway, because we're at about 40% distribution now, 30% when we started, got about 10 points of distribution over the last couple of three years. Um, there's a number of different vectors for growth. A T-line, right? The New York City guys sure, are looking sure. for a T-line, right? And we've had teas before, tea and lemonade kind of makes sense, and Calypso can resonate. We formulated that product. Uh, multi-pack, and it could be in a different package, package size, right? Um, right, right. Uh, and then further innovation. And, you know, I don't want to go too far with no, our no, secrets no, here, but, no, no, no. Uh, you know, there could be something that might be uh, in the spiked line of products. So there's a number of different places to go with Flipso brand. Yeah, beverage is going crazy. So it's, <laughs> there's lots of, uh, lots of room for that, for sure. Um, when jump back a little bit to the earlier days in terms of, of scaling what, you know, obviously from the big CPG background, again, you kind of have that experience or whatever, but for people who aren't at that level, whatever, what's, what's the big challenge in scaling and what does scaling really mean when we talk about growing a brand? Yeah. So we're, we're at that point of, um, you know, we got the growth, but we had the capacity. Now we're getting growth on top of growth where we've, almost tripled the business in the last, you know, three years. And it's now a question of how do I get more product? So, you know, the challenges that come with scaling a business are significant, whether it's people, it's infrastructure, communication, engagement, suppliers. And then the, you know, one of the ones I, I didn't see coming, just the number of contracts and the legal work that has to be done. And as we, you know, even, you know, even more so when you look at our international business, we're in 30 plus countries now. And we had to go get the trademark in every single one of those countries. Oh, yes. So, you know, you've got and then you've got distribution contracts and expanding the distribution network and negotiating those and then supplier contracts. So the whole idea of scaling a business, you could call scaling a business from, you know, zero to one million or one million to 10. Right. And they all have their, you know, different challenges. But we're talking about scaling into hundreds of millions now yeah. from, you know, a much, much smaller business. And every step of the way, those challenges become exponentially more difficult. So I would tell you the, the thing that I learned, and I've always had this in, um, in my background in terms of, of uh, recognizing its value is this talent, building a great team. You know, don't, don't go after the folks that you think are okay for what you need. You know, hire people that are better, that are smarter than you and provide strategic direction to the group collectively with the group, the executive team. Right. Um, but let them run. You know, one of the things that I've seen, and that's very hard to do for entrepreneurs. And I've, I've been very fortunate <laughs> to have met a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, the one that we bought the business from, he, you know, he and I are friends, you know, to this day. And he's told me, you know, yeah. I couldn't have done that. You know, pissed off that he didn't, but recognizes that he wish he could have. 
and it wasn't right for him. And so, David, you had mentioned like putting a, a, a team together. Can you talk a little bit about some of the folks that you know, you're working with? Yeah, I mean, it's probably the most important thing an entrepreneur that is looking to scale a business can do. You know, at, at first, you clearly don't have the, the resources, the money to get after the big team right. or have the resources of a big company. But as you grow and as you're trying to scale, one of the most important things is to hire great people. Um, and as I had said, people that are better, smarter than you are and have the expertise in the areas that you need. Um, we've been very, very fortunate um, with King Juice where we've replaced the entire team with a great CFO and Rick Wina and John Jarris in operation who is steeped in the co-man business and trying to figure out how we get more product out of the network. <laughs> and, and then Bridget Lazda um, is our chief customer officer that is probably better than I've ever seen anybody at getting new distribution with a growing brand. And then lastly, Matt, Matt Anderson, uh, one of the smartest guys I've ever met, um, is leading our marketing organization. So we have a great team. And it's, it's also a bit of um, uh, quite important to make sure that there's a cultural connection. You know, there's a right. need to make sure that you're connected as a team and you're working as one. You can't be, you know, functional in any way. You have to work really closely together on strategy and what those tactic, tactics are to deliver against your plan. So I think the team is one of the most important things you can do with a business as you're scaling. And, and, and one of the things, David, different that, you know, you were able to do and, and some people have been able to accomplish versus going back to, you know, Nabisco and Pepsi companies you've worked for and I've worked with was the silos were just, just huge. I mean, I, you know, I, I remember doing programs that involved both marketing and sales and literally over the conference table, salespeople introducing themselves to marketing people. Mm -hmm. It's like, you guys have never been in the same room together. <laughs> yeah. How does that work? You know, it's, uh, it's tough because everybody has to push together for, for the objectives. Well, and, and I would tell you, Steve, that it is that much more important when you're a smaller business, but you're in the mode of growth and, and trying to scale Right, where the alignment across that executive team and then their teams has to be so tight. Otherwise, you know, you get diverted, you get off track. Yep. And, you know, you can't, uh, there's no such thing as finger pointing in a business this size, you know, it is, <laughs> no. we're all in this together, whether you got operational issues, you know, sales issues, customer issues, marketing, whatever it is, we're in it together to figure it out. Um, and, and that's where, you know, the culture of the organization that you're trying to build is really important. Important. Yeah. There's no tall grass to go hide in. So <laughs> You yeah. have to be, uh, you have to be accountable. Um, well, David, one of the things we do on the program is um, we, because we have an audience of, of fellow entrepreneurs and, and, and people from the industry um, is to try to get our guests to encapsulate in, in one word or one phrase or one topic, something that they want to leave with their fellow entrepreneurs in terms of advice and counsel. Can you, uh, can you wrap something up for us? Yeah, you know, and I've actually used the word a few times in this conversation. Um, and I would tell you, it is probably the most important thing that we've been doing in the last three and a half years. It's iterate, um, persistent iteration. I mean, it's a key to scaling a business. It's a key to 
to figuring out what to do and where to double down. You know, most things you do just aren't going to work as expected. They just don't. But figure out what does, iterate and double down on the things that that do work. Um, And, you know, that's that's clearly an area that has um, catapulted our business because, hey, there's plenty of things that that we spent money on and, and it just didn't work. But as we found the things that did work and iterated against those, um, we've just been very, very successful. So iterate is that one word. Iterate is what we're going to do. That's awesome. Thank you, David. Hey, and I really appreciate taking the time, um, you know, to be with us today and, and share not only the story of Calypsoder, but great advice and, and wisdom for uh, fellow fellow entrepreneurs. That's uh, we, we really appreciate it and hope to get you back on the program again uh, when we're down the line with uh, even more stuff going on at Calypso. Okay. Great. Glad to be on. Absolutely. Thank you again so much. And thanks to all the rest of you for joining us today on the Next Level Brands podcast, part of the Next Level Brands CPG community. If you have a growing firm in food, beverage, health, and wellness, you should be a part of the Next Level Brands community, education, resources, workshops, founder coaching, and networking. More information available at nextlevelbrands.com. That's next with two X's. Nextlevelbrands.com, what you need to know to grow. This is Steve Clear, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Next Level Brands podcast with G. Stephen Clear. Learn more at next with two X's, levelbrands.com. While you're there, be sure to sign up for the Next Level Brands email list or subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode.